You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. We are uh, continuing our study in Genesis, uh, chapter 18. I'll be reading verses 1 to 15. If you'd like to use the Seaback Bible, it's page 9. Let's read the word. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, If I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves. And after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah, and said, Quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Let's pray. Lord, it's a privilege to gather in your house. And thank you, Lord, for your word. Thanks that we have a church that preaches your word. And as we read today, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Help us to rest in that assurance. Be with David as he brings a message this morning, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Charlie. He told me beforehand he was going to tell a, a hilarious joke right before I came up, so I was just waiting to see what the punchline would be, but the joke is there is no joke. Thanks, Charlie. You got me. It's funny, uh, the things that you remember as a child, the things that you carry along in adulthood, one of the things that I remember is watching weird TV shows with my grandparents at their farm in Clay Center, Kansas. And one of the shows that my grandpa and I watched when I was a a young child in the early 80s, yes, I'm, I'm old and young at the same time, depending on how you think about the early 80s, the show called That's Incredible. Maybe you remember the show. It was kind of the forerunner to a lot of our America's Got Talent shows, those weird extreme shows we have on TV today. There's things on that TV show that were unusual, unexplainable, and just plain stupid. There were things on there that had like a a monkey who could be trained to ride a bike. That was pretty incredible at that time. There was a guy whose reflexes were so fast he could reach out and grab a rattlesnake before it bit him in the hand. That's incredible. 
there was an interview with a park ranger who had been hit seven times by lightning and still lived to tell the story. It's an incredible thing. And they'd shown people jumping their motorcycles over helicopters without getting chopped up in the blades. It was pretty incredible. It, it's what created that phrase, kids, don't try this at home, if you remember that. Don't do any of these things at home. Well, not to be, not to be uh, beat or one-upped, in 2009, another show came out that wasn't called That's Incredible, but it's called That's Impossible. And for my Star Trek nerd friends, it was hosted by this guy, you know, Commander William Riker, and it highlighted futuristic technologies. These amazing things that, that we couldn't quite do in our world, but if only we had this technology and this technology and then this technology, we could be able to see it happen. For example, things like invisibility cloaks. We, we couldn't quite have invisibility cloaks, but if we had this and this and this, then maybe we could have invisibility cloaks. We can't exactly harness tornadoes, but they said if we could only do this and this and this, then we could harness tornadoes to use as weapons. What a strange show, a sci-fi show it was. They said if, if we wanted to, someday we could control people's minds, but we need a few things to happen before we get there. These were things that were impossible because they weren't likely to happen. They probably were not going to take place. And we know the difference between things that are incredible and things that are impossible. And whether or not something can be explained from a human perspective, whether it could happen or whether it's just probably never going to happen at all. You know, we know that it's possible for someone to grab a rattlesnake with their bare hand. You shouldn't try it if you haven't practiced, but it's, it's incredible, not impossible. But to harness a tornado and use it as a weapon, that's impossible. We can't do that. And even in this age of Photoshop and deep fake videos, we know the difference between things that are incredible and things that are impossible, right? We can usually tell the difference. But what about when it comes to these unusual stories, situations, and promises that we read about in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament? Somewhere these stories that we read in the Old Testament kind of range between, oh, that's pretty incredible, but it also seems a little bit impossible. And especially here in Genesis, as we've been walking through chapter by chapter, verse by verse here since the beginning of this calendar year, we've been following the story of a family who have been given some incredible promises. Some amazing statements have been made about this, this family. They'd be a blessing to the whole world, and in turn, they would bless the entire world. And we've seen them make some good choices and some awful choices. We've seen them show great faith in who God is. And we've seen them show very little faith in who God is. And this morning in chapter 18, as we heard read just a few moments ago, we're going to be asked to consider if God's promises, as we read in the Old Testament here in Genesis 18, if they are incredible or if they are impossible. And we're going to do this by walking through the passage. We'll kind of just go verse by verse and kind of just see what's going on in this story about strangers and laughter. And then we're going to consider some impossible promises of God. So again, if you don't have your Bibles open yet, please turn to Genesis 18 so you can follow along. So you know these aren't my words. These are what God has intended for us to know and to read and to have this morning. So here's the, the first point, the first thing that we're going to do is walk through the story of strangers and laughter. And again, it starts in verse 1, as we heard, that the Lord appears to Abraham 
by the oaks of Mamre. And so the author of this book, Moses, who also serves as the narrator, kind of the behind-the-scenes guy who tells us what's going on along the way, he lets us know that it's Yahweh himself, the Lord God of Israel, who comes to see Abraham at this familiar place that the Israelites, the readers, would have automatically known, the Oaks of Mamre. And with the Lord comes two other travelers, as we see there in verse 2, that Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, there were three men standing in front of him. And Abraham at this time is a spry 99 years old, at the doorway of his tent, in the middle of a desert, catching a few moments of rest. And he looks up and he sees three, what he thinks to be men, walking toward him. So he gets up, he does what any 99-year-old would do. He runs to them, meets them, greets them, and says to them in verse 3, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. And with that greeting, Abraham invites them in and welcomes them to sit, to drink, to be refreshed, to get cleaned up, to eat, and to be prepared to go on the rest of their journey, wherever that may take them. And at this point, most Bible scholars agree that Abraham doesn't know who these three men are. He doesn't know that these are supernatural beings, but we do. Based on verse 1, we, we know it's the Lord, and with him are two angels who are traveling with the Lord and are going to be going to Sodom and Gomorrah in the next few verses and chapters. But Abraham doesn't see them as supernatural beings. He's doing this. He's saying these things to them because it's what you do in ancient Middle Eastern hospitality. You, you're abundant. You're welcoming. You're exuberant, and you're inviting in. And what he gives to them is not just what he'd give to someone because it's the Lord, it's because it's a guest in his tent. It'd be weird if he didn't go out of his way to be hospitable. See, we know who these three people are, but Abraham doesn't yet. And what I appreciate about Abraham is that he is a man who is quick to respond, at least in this moment. And when they say, yeah, we take some food, we take some Something to drink, his hospitality meter goes from 0 to 60 in 4.3 seconds, which is a land speed record in the land of Hebron. And, and he moves quickly, it says in verse 6. We see him acting quickly, responding quickly, instructing quickly. And he tells Sarah, his wife, to get three says of fine flour, which is a huge amount of flour. To knead it, make some cakes, and Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf that was not just the leftover calf, but it was a tender and good calf. He gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. He took curds and milk and the calf that had, he had prepared and set it before these strangers. And Abraham stood by them under the tree while they ate. So again, Abraham is moving, acting, responding quickly. He's enlisting Sarah and this other young man to help him. Not just pre present to them a, a meal, not just enough, but way more than they need. Enough for the entire day's worth of travel. Lots of activities happening here in these first eight verses. And as Abraham is weirdly watching them eat under the tree, I think it's just an odd statement there. He's just watching them as they eat. One of them says this to Abraham in verse 9. Where is Sarah, your wife? And Abraham said, well, she's in the tent, to which the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. 
And this is the first clue given to Abraham about who these guests, these strangers, might really have been. See, they ask him, where is Sarah with an H? You see that in your Bibles there? Sarah, not Sarai with an I. And it's a small change, but it's an important one because, see, for the last five chapters or so, we've been following the story of Abram and Sarai, these travelers from the land of Ur. And as Pastor Marty walked us through chapter 17 last week, we saw there was a change that happens in their names. No longer is it Abram, but now it's Abraham. The Lord says, your name is now Abraham. And he says about Sarai, her name is no longer Sarai, but it's Sarah with an H. We see that back in Genesis 17, verses 15 and 16. This is on the overhead here behind me. It says that as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I'll bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And so far, as we get from chapter 17 here to chapter 18, there's only two parties who know of Sarah's name change. Abraham and the Lord. But here is this stranger showing up outside the tent saying, where is Sarah with an H? And I find it interesting that the focus of the first eight verses really was on Abraham and what he did and what he said and what he, how he greeted these strangers. But verse 9 moves our focus off of Abraham and really onto Sarah. It zooms in on this other character in the story. And the narrator of the story wants us to know in verse 10 that behind Abraham, just inside the tent, Sarah is there listening to the conversation. And she hears the leader of the three strangers ask about her and declare that she would give birth to a son within a year. And we don't have this in the text, but I can imagine that Sarah at this moment would be glancing down at her 90-year-old body thinking, yeah, right. Yeah, right. He takes into account the gray in her hair, the wrinkles in her face, the increased amount of cracks and popping in her fingers and knees and all of her joints and realizing, man, there's no way. This body is giving birth to a baby within a year. And I think she agrees with the narrator in verse 11 when they say that Sarah was old, advanced in years, and the way of women had ceased to be with her. But yet she hears this stranger's promise of a son, and she responds. And verse 12 says that she didn't LOL, she didn't laugh out loud, she laughed to herself. In her spirit, to herself, she laughed. She laughed at the absurdity of this. There in the tent, away from the conversation, she laughed at the stranger's promise and said to herself, I'm tired. My husband is older than dirt and pleasure has all but passed me by. How is this going to happen? And she laughed. And we all know that there's different kinds of laughter. Not all laughter is the same. There's a difference between a hilarious dad joke, somebody belly laughing because all dad jokes are hilarious, and somebody who laughs in your face. A difference between someone laughing with you and someone laughing at you. And for those who have been with us in Genesis, this is not the first time that we read about laughter, and it's not going to be the last time either. 
in this book. See, again, in chapter 17, just last week, when God announced to Abraham for the fifth time that he was going to have a son, Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Yet his laughter was followed by a statement that revealed Abraham accepted the Lord's promise, regardless of how incredibly unbelievable it was. Abraham's laughter was delighting in what God would do in spite of his advanced years. But friends, Sarah's laughter reveals something different about her belief in God's promises. Even though the Lord had been leading Abraham and Sarah from Ur to Canaan to Egypt to the Negev, here to the Oaks of Mamre, Sarah was in many ways the other person in the story. She was kind of on the outside looking in to all these promises and all of these activities. And in this moment, inside the tent, she didn't think anybody knew she was there. She didn't think that she would be heard. She wrongly believed that God's promises were far away and had no real bearing on her life, but she was known and she was heard. And while Sarah's inside the tent laughing to herself, the Lord outside the tent hears her thoughts and asks Abraham this question here in verse 13. Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And this is where I wish that, that TV show, That's Impossible, uh, that, that time travel actually existed, because I would love to go back to this moment and just watch Sarah's face. To watch in that moment when she knew that she had been found out. When she knew, oh, I've been caught. Someone heard the very thoughts of my heart and knows what I'm thinking. In that moment, she understood that the person, the one outside her tent, could read hearts and minds like you and I read a book, and she reacted in just the same way that you and I would. She got caught, she became afraid, and she denied her unbelief. Verse 15 tells us that Sarah denied it, saying really to no one in particular, because again, she's inside the tent, I did not laugh, for she was afraid, but the Lord said, no, but you did laugh. And with that, our, our passage, our section of Scripture we're considering this morning ends. The scene changes. In the next verse, Abraham walks the three strangers away from the camp. And like Sarah, we're left here wondering what in the world just happened? What just took place? Why did this encounter in the middle of a desert take place? And for us, I want to encourage us to consider and respond to a couple of impossible promises that God gives us in this text. Because I do think it's, it's symbolic that as our passage ends, we've got Abraham leaving and there hiding, afraid, probably a, a lot embarrassed. In the privacy of our own tent, we find Sarah. 
And it can be really easy for us to think that compared to Abraham, Sarah was just this little tiny character in God's big story. And perhaps if she was honest, she might have believed that God's promises might be true for others, but they just didn't feel very true for her. But this story leads us to the first impossible promise that is true. It's this, that no one is too small for God's promises. That no one is too small for God's promises. See, although it was Abraham who was chosen, who was visited, who was reassured, who was protected, who was given insider information left and right from the Lord, it's Sarah who we know is often left alone, left out, or even worse, used by her husband more than once as a human shield to protect him from his enemies. And it's Sarah just two chapters ago, in chapter 16, who Abraham dismisses with the wave of his hand when she is perhaps at her lowest point of her life. And this could explain why she laughed to herself at the promise of a son, because honestly, I really wonder how much information had Abraham been sharing with Sarah? How much did she really know about what God has promised to Abraham? All these conversations, plans, and promises that God had assured Abraham of, how much did Sarah know? And I would hope that Sarah wasn't completely in the dark, but friends, this is the first time in Genesis that someone other than Abraham is being told of these amazing promises of God doing something that would change the entire scope of human history. This is not just the Lord meeting with Abraham and telling him all these things. It's the Lord looking Sarah in the heart and saying, I promise to you that I will do this. And we might be tempted to, to look at Sarah laughing and saying, oh, how ridiculous, Sarah. You should never laugh at the Lord. We all know that. You'd never laugh at the Lord. But I want to be really careful here that we don't put Sarah here kind of on the rung of ladder of faith that's down here and put us up here saying we'd never laugh we would never do that we would never treat the lord like that because that's not what this passage does this passage is an intentional shift of focus as sarah moves from the passive recipient of god's promises to an active participant in god's promises there's a change that happens in this passage See, the Lord and these two angels visit this family in the desert not to just strengthen Abraham's faith. It's already happened a number of times. But to assure Sarah that his promises were for her, regardless of how small she felt. That she was chosen, his beloved daughter, literally his princess. That's what the name Sarah means. His princess. Sarah, you are important to me. And regardless of what happened before or during or after this encounter, Sarah was not too small for God's promises. Just because she was the one in the background, just because she was the one who laughed, the one who was afraid, does not mean that she was excluded from being a full participant in God's promises. And I wonder for many of us, if we're here this morning, and we can identify a little bit with Sarah, 
Now, now maybe we're not a 90-year-old nomadic woman who lives in the desert, but there's some things about Sarah's life that I think I identify with, and I, I bet you do as well. There's times in our lives when we could feel unseen by God, maybe small compared to other people, second class, or if we're honest, maybe even forgotten by God. Might be stuck in a job we don't like. Maybe you've gone through some unbelievably difficult circumstance in your past. Maybe you've been looked down upon because of your age, because of your gender, your, your education, whatever it is. Let me assure you, this passage reminds us, though, that in God's economy, there are no second-class believers. You're not too small, too broken, too young, too old, too inexperienced to know, to receive, and to partake in all of God's promises. And this passage of Scripture leads us to consider a few questions. Questions like, do you believe that God's promises are for you? Or do you believe that God's promises are really for somebody else who deserves them? Or maybe in your heart of hearts, do you believe that you are important to God? Or would you classify yourself as kind of a, an unimportant person before Him? Dear friends, let me be clear. There's no one too small for God's promises. Not Sarah, not you, not me, not anyone. This is an impossible promise that is true. But that's not the only promise that we see that seems a little bit impossible in this passage. We see a second impossible promise, and it's this, that God's promises are not too big for you. Just like no one is too small for God's promises, God's promises aren't too big for you. There is nothing the Lord has promised to do that he will not do. There is no promise that God has made that he will not keep. And we know this because there are seven little words nestled in this passage that affect every aspect of human existence. Do you see them there in verse 14? Seven little words. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? See, God roots his call for Sarah to believe in his promises on the fact that he can do anything. And because he has made this promise to her, she can rest assured that he will bring it to pass. It will happen not based on her, how good she is, or how well she's doing, but on him. Not in her circumstances, but on his character. That is what this promise is rooted in. And this question, is anything too hard for the Lord, really is the fundamental question that Sarah and Abraham and every other human being alive has to answer. It's the question that Joseph and Moses would later on have to answer. The question the Israelites who are standing on the edge of the promised land would have to answer, is anything too hard for the Lord? The question that Jesus wrestled with, the question that his disciples and the first Christians wrestled with as they're being persecuted and killed for their faith, is there anything 
too hard for the Lord? And it's the same question that you and I have to do business with at some point in our life. And maybe that day is today. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Because how we answer that question shapes nearly everything else in life. Because friends, if we believe there's things that are too big for God, like if there really is a rock too big that God can't move, then that changes how we think about God. It, it incorrectly reveals that we do not believe that God is who this word says he is. If we believe there's something that he cannot do, if there is something that is too difficult, if there is something that we can create or place before him that he is unable to act upon or to accomplish, then he is not God. But we're sitting in that seat of saying, I know better than you. That's a dangerous place to be. But Sarah believed that God's promises were not too big for her. Because somewhere in between this passage here in chapter 18 and the birth of her son Isaac one year later, sorry, spoiler alert, I should have said that. God actually kept his promise. A year later, Isaac was born. We'll read about that in a couple chapters. There's a change in Sarah's life. It's a change in her perspective. Because this question that she wrestled with, is anything too hard for the Lord? This could have seemed like an accusation to her at first. I, I think at some point became a sweet source of power and promise to her. If she considered, is anything too hard for the Lord? She might say, well, I don't know how a 90-year-old is going to have a baby. But I guess... I guess he can do that. I, I guess he's the one that hung the stars and the moon and the sun and the sky. I, I guess, maybe. And we don't, but we'd have to guess and wonder what Sarah's response was because we know it. We know how Sarah answered this question. Because in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 11, in the hall of fame of the heroes of faith, Sarah's name is listed there as one of those who was faithful. And it says this, that by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age. And I love this verse, this phrase. Since she considered him faithful, who had promised that Sarah considered him faithful who had made the promise. She wasn't focused on her questions or her circumstances or the age of her body or the seemingly impossible path forward to having a kid within a year, but she considered the Lord and his promises and said he is faithful to keep his promises. Not just one or two of them, but all of them. He is faithful. Friends, let me ask you this question, same question that's been posed in this text, is do you believe that there is anything that God can't do? Is there anything too difficult, too hard, too impossible for him? This is an important question because over 7,400 times in the Bible, we are 
told promises that God makes to us. 7,400 times the Lord says, I will do this, I will accomplish this, I will bring this to pass. 7,400 times we are reminded that there is no relationship too broken for God to heal. There's no sin too large for God to forgive. There is no person too far gone for God to save. There is no prayer too small for God to hear. And there is no person too insignificant for God to use. Because after all, it was the Lord who generations after Abraham and Sarah who came through an angel and visited a young woman and made an incredible promise to her that she would have a son. That she would conceive even though she was a virgin. But unlike Sarah... Mary didn't laugh, but she believed in this promise that nothing is impossible with God. And when that child of promise grew older, he healed the broken, the lame, he gave sight to the blind, and hearing to the deaf, it was Jesus who fed 5,000 people with a, a couple of loaves and a few fish, and it was Jesus who spoke into the tomb, and his friend Lazarus walked out from death to life. And it was Jesus who was killed on the cross for our unbelief. And it was Jesus who not only did the incredible but the impossible as he conquered death and rose from the dead. See, all these promises in the Old Testament, they may seem like they're kind of far away. They may seem like they are distant from us. But in Christ, this is how we know there is nothing too hard for the Lord. When we consider how faithful He is to not just make promises, but to keep every one of His promises, we can look beyond the contradictory circumstances of this life and rest upon the character of the one who has made the promise. That is the hope that we have in Genesis 18, that it's not our circumstances that impact God, but it is God who impacts our circumstances. January 18th of last month may not be a day that for you kind of springs out of great significance. Maybe it's a day that doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but it, it is a date that has great meaning to me. See, that morning of January 18th, it was a Tuesday, I received a phone call from doctors and caregivers at the hospital where my dad was in the ICU. He was on day 12 of being on a ventilator at that time. Basically, the phone call said, it's not going well. It's not going in the direction that we would hope it's heading. And not right now, but somewhere down the road, we're probably going to have to make some difficult decisions. That day, January 18th, I ran to my prayer journal and just wrote, Lord, what's going on? What's happening? We've been praying, and many of you have been praying. We've been joining our family and praying for weeks. Lord, we don't, we don't see it yet, but we know you're working. We, we hope that you're working. We believe that you're working, but why haven't you saved my dad yet? 
That night was a very restless night, and the next morning I woke up early. And the Lord reminded me that morning, as I was asking him, Lord, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? And he said, no, you cannot. I said, Dave, you can't save him. You can't heal him. You can't protect him. You can't even speak to him. You are not in control over the situation and circumstance. The Lord broke me, as he often does. It's a weird thing. He broke me in the shower. I bawled like a baby. And he reminded me over and over and over again, Dave, you can't, but I can. I can heal. I can save. I can protect. I can speak to him. I I'm in control. You can't. But the Lord said, I can. And that didn't automatically mean that I was going to get everything to go my way. I, I, I don't believe that. I, I never believed that for a second. But I knew in that moment. I believed in that moment. Lord, this is true. What you say here in Genesis 18 is true, that there is nothing too hard for you. There's no circumstance that's too hard for you. There's no unknown that is too hard for you. And friends, I got to apply this passage on that morning in a fresh and new way and believe that it was absolutely true. There is nothing the Lord cannot do. Friends, we must believe not in our circumstances, but in the character of the one who has said, nothing is impossible with me. The Lord is faithful to keep all of his promises. Friends, I would encourage you today to believe that, to walk in faithfulness and believe that it is true that there is nothing impossible there is no impossible promise that the Lord will not keep. He is faithful to keep his promises. Believe in him today. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you for your word. We're grateful for the gift of this passage, this tender glimpse into the life of Sarah. We pray now, Jesus, that you would remind our hearts that there is absolutely nothing that is too large for you to do, and there is no one here who is too small for you. Christ, we thank you that in you we have all the hope that we need, all the proof that we need that you are faithful. God, you are faithful. We praise you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.